0: For today. If you don't have a Bible, we have the uh, verse on the screen, but you can just read along with me. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of others. This is the word of God. You can can be uh, Actually, remain standing while I pray. Father, we just come before you today, and I, I pray that each one here comes before you in humility to hear from you, Lord, that we would see the world as you see it. That we would see this young man that was just on the screen as you see him, Father. That we would see that young man on the screen as that little girl saw him through your eyes. So, Father, give us uh, humility as we listen to your word today. And just speak to our hearts in your son's precious name. Amen.
1: You may be seated. Thank you. God has called all of us to have compassion. Every single one of us. We might demonstrate it in different ways um, and at different, um, hopefully consistently throughout our lives, but I just want to encourage you all to consider how God might be calling you and leading you uh, to demonstrate compassion to someone else. We're, I think we're praying for 50, is that true? Um, praying for They thought we were nuts because our church is small, right? So, um, but we said, no, I think we can do 50. Um, but yeah, so we're praying for that. Um, I think it's $38 a month, right? per, per um, child that you sponsor. Um, so just pray about it. Um, just, uh, I think uh, our church is going to try to take on, like in the church budget, a few, I forget how many, we said five. Yeah, so, um, so we're going to try to take on five, and we actually kind of need some help with those five for um, people to write to the kids, because that's one of the challenges that we're kind of putting. It's not just sending the money, but showing them that there is someone behind that money that loves them and cares about them and thinks of them. You know, so that's just really amazing, amazing thing. We want to, we believe in preaching the gospel um, at our church, and we believe in preaching the gospel with words, but also with actions. So that means that scripture tells us to be faithful, to care for the needs of others that are around us. So that's why as a church, we sometimes pay someone's rent that lives down the street, uh, but also why we um, adopt orphans across uh, the world. You know, so um, just consider that, can pray about how the Lord might be leading you to compassion. This morning. And um, I also wanted to take, I know we prayed at the beginning for this, but I wanted to just kind of by show of hands, is there anyone that has a friend or a relative in Florida right now? Um, wow, that's a lot. Um, there's a lot of hands going up. So, what I'd like to do, um, if you don't mind, if, if we could have another time of prayer, and I want to ask you guys to pray, just at random, maybe three people, and um, just speak up, just, uh, just pray for a few moments for maybe your relative and others. Um, for God's safety. So would you join me in doing that? Um, Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear God, we take this time again to ask for the safety of our friends and family and many others right now that are um, facing a very uh, dangerous storm. We want to ask you to hear the prayers of our church as we lift them up. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, I remember a former, former Bible teacher of mine saying once that you, when you read the word therefore in Scripture, that you need to ask, what is it therefore? <laughs> Clever, right? Um, the very first word in our passage, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any participation of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, etc., right? the very first word is therefore. There's common transitions in the letters of Paul when Paul write in, writes in the New Testament that move us from an indicative mood to an imperative mood. Verbs, verbs in the indicative mood, I'll give you a little lesson here, you guys are excited about grammar I think. So, but verbs that are in the indicative move, mood are statements of facts. I hit the ball. I purchased groceries. I hate grammar. Right? Those are those. That was funny. That was that. Was, I was supposed to get a laugh out of that. I didn't. Um, but those are verbs that are uh, in the indicative mood. Verbs verbs in the imperative mood express a command of sorts. So, hit the ball. Wash the dishes. Those are, those are commands. It's imperative. So Paul moves us oftentimes in his letters to statements of fact, and then he transitions usually his second half of the letter to an indicative. So in other words, what should our response be knowing this information, how, how then shall we live as Christians? And a, a great example of this is in, in the book of Romans. For 11 chapters, ro- the book of Romans is the, the longest letter in the New Testament that Paul writes. It's extremely long um, for a letter in those days for 11 chapters, Paul is stating facts in indicative moods, remarking on the, the, the facts of salvation, that we're sinners, that we're made right with God by faith alone, that we're no longer condemned by God if, we're, if we believe and trust in Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8. And then we have this pivot verse in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore... Therefore, in light of all of this that you've learned about how God has saved you and how you're saved and why you needed to be saved, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of these past 11 chapters that I've just explained, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So considering everything written in those previous chapters, his great discourse on the need, provision, and means of salvation, considering this great mercy, what are we to do as believers, as recipients of this fantastic love in God's grace? That we are to offer, the result is that we are to offer our whole life, our actions, our desires, our attitudes, as willing and living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So that word, that little word, therefore, is very important. We need to ask, what is this therefore? <laughs> it's remarkable. It reveals what can be the abundant life of a Christian that fully understands the meaning of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. And in our text, in Philippians, Paul is giving us a creed to live by. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's saying, this then is how we should be living in light of the gospel. If we really believe the gospel, therefore, etc. He's saying if you are the object of God's mercy and love, if, you, if your sins have been forgiven, washed away, never to be remembered anymore, and friend, you might not know Christ this morning, do you know that that can be what God declares on you when you, when you put repentant faith in him? That your sins will be washed away, never to be remembered anymore, and you become reconciled to your Creator, God, and Father. But if you, if you believe that already, you're the object of God's mercy and love. If your sins have been washed away, never to be remembered any, if you're crowned with all the glory of what is intimate union with the Father, despite yourself and despite your sin, then, Paul says, if that's you, consider others more important than yourselves value others above oh and that's hard isn't it i so frequently don't do this i get cranky when someone's taking too long in dunkin donuts i immediately go off the rails because i want my coffee faster but here is this creed of Christendom to value others above ourselves. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. He would be first in my kingdom, will be a servant of all. Just a really high standard of living, isn't it? So greed and coveting and selfishness, it's all antithetical to the gospel. And I want to explain why this morning, and I want to encourage you this morning to value others above yourself. So this morning I want to look at three powers for selfless living. How do you get the, the, the courage, the inspiration, the power to do this? I want to look at three powers of selfless living that I think are quite clear in our text. First is the inspiration. Second is the means. And third is the product, the inspiration, the means, and the product. So let's look at the inspiration. Paul announces what is the birthright of every born-again Christian. Scripture says that when you put faith in Jesus Christ, you are born anew. And in that new birth, you have a birthright as Christians. You have things that God credits to you, gives to you by his grace. And he announces them on these four great pillars if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. These four items, union with Christ, the love of God, sharing of the Spirit, tenderness and compassion are yours this moment if you believe in Jesus Christ. The birthright of every Christian. It's who we're made to be in Jesus. Now, Did you see the word if, if you have any encouragement from being with Christ, if any comfort from his love? Now, I think there are two components to this, because we might hear this as someone who is not yet a Christian, and we should certainly answer the question, no, because if and I don't have these things, because I need to trust in Jesus Christ first. But if and you do trust in Jesus Christ, these things are certainly true of you. We use the word if sometimes in different ways. You know this. We'll go to the beach tomorrow if it doesn't rain. If and it might, you see. If and it's, we're really not sure, so it depends. If you love me, please just do the dishes, right? If you love me, we've been, we might have been manipulated like that before in the past. If you love me, but what do, what do we mean? If you love me, and I know you do love me. If, if, and I know this is true, you see, that's what Paul's saying here. If you have any, as Christians, if, and you do have encouragement of being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, and you do have this as Christians, if you share the spirit, and you do, if any tenderness and compassion which you both possess. So here we are, the four legs of the birthright of the believer. I want to go into these because these are marvelous promises that are the inspiration of selfless living. Let's look at this. The moment you place faith in Jesus Christ, you are at once endowed with all the blessings of the Father. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You say, I don't feel like that. I don't even know what they are. It matters not. They are yours. You see, the power of the Christian life is we get to learn what they are as we examine Scripture and all that God has done for us and thinks about us and all of his great love for us. But the first is revealed to us right here, union with Jesus Christ. If there is any union with Christ, you are at once, as a believer in Jesus Christ, united to God, the Creator. Listen to the passage in the New Testament letter of Colossians. It reads this for God has pleased, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's talking about Jesus in this moment. So all the fullness of God was in the body, the human body of Jesus Christ. And through him, through the through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, enemies in your minds, because of your evil behavior. But now, by faith in Christ, he has reconciled you by Christ's body through death to present you holy in a sight without blemish and free from accusation. There is no accusation when you put trust in Christ that can be made against you. It's all gone, friends. All of them. You don't come to church to please God or to erase your sin. You come to church because he has erased it for you. And as a consequence, you are united with God in heaven. You have been reconciled with he who was your enemy is now your friend. Isn't that incredible? Paul says the first powerful pillar of your birthright is that you are one with God, an undeserved gift. He was your enemy. We justly deserved his judgment, but he looked on us with compassion, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Prior to our faith in Christ, God was our enemy, but in Christ we're brought near, we're reconciled to him. Reconciled just means We're, enemies have become friends, right? We're brought near. We're one with God. An effective fruit of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for all who believe in him is that you are reconciled to God. You are one with him. Isn't that fantastic? Jesus said in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Union. Oh, I'm a sinner. I am a fantastic sinner. I'm so good at it. Oh, but friend, if God has turned your heart in repentance to trust in him, that sin is gone. And God is one with you. He is in you. What you have with God as believers is fellowship and intimate union with your Maker. Now, I know that at times we don't feel like that, but it doesn't matter what we feel like because it is so. Your union to God in Christ depends not on how you feel, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ, period. So you stand on that, not on your emotions. This is the rock on which our salvation rests, the news of Jesus Christ, that he has united us with God the Father. But let's look at the second leg of inspiration for us, the comfort from his love. Oh, love is a fine thing, isn't it? How many people have ever felt the love of another person? I know I have. Whether it's a friend or a parent, a a spouse or a child, Anyone who just actively loves us and we see this kind of happening um, for us, we just see this deep need satisfied in us to be loved. Then the reason for that, friend, is God created you to be loved by Him. You need love. And, friend, I, might I suggest to you that, you're, that at times we search for it in everything but God who alone can fill it fully. So here we approach this God who loves us. As children of God, we recognize that when we are united with God, that his love for us is unchanged and unending. So friends, line up all the people who think you're a scumbag and hate your guts. It doesn't matter because God loves you. And he forgives you. And oh, isn't that the inspiration that we need to get up and go and sin no more? Right? All your worst fears, because of this unchanging love of God, are irrational and impossible. All your sins, which might have condemned you because of your faith in Christ, you are forgiven. One author writes that he is the voice that speaks to your sorrows and the hand that touches your hurts. Go to him, friend, if you trust him. If you've cried out to him, take your sorrows to him. All at once, we can sing with Paul in Romans 8, what can separate me from the love of God? Can height nor depth separate me from the love of God? Absolutely not. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Our union with Christ demands an eternal, unchanging, unending love from God. He is committed to it when you come to Christ. That is love. But also, there is a third birthright. We share in the Spirit. We share in the Spirit. Interesting kind of religious language. It might be confusing to you. What does this mean? Well, God... God God's nature is one in nature and three in person Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Bible promises that if you put your faith in Christ, all at once, God's presence comes to live in you? The Spirit of God takes up residence in you. And not just you, but anyone who has cried out to Christ for the forgiveness of sin. God comes to live in you. And we identify with that spirit and cry out and say, Abba, Father. We know that the presence of God is in us. One place the Bible reads, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you are bought with a price. Our bodies are temples, tabernacles, living spaces. That's what that word means dwelling spaces, for for God himself. That's the kind of union, the kind of love, the kind of purity that you are endowed with because of the death of Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, you share in the divine spirit that God promises to keep you with until he returns. Amen? But fourthly, tenderness and compassion. If there, are, if there is any tenderness and compassion. Some translations read affection and sympathy. I don't know what, what, what translation you might be reading right now. Affections or tenderness is the inner source of emotion. It's the heart. And sympathy is the emotion kind of like lived out. It's, it's the object of our love. It's the demonstration of the heart we have. So so Paul is saying, if there is in in you any affection or any sympathy, then make my joy complete. The Holy Spirit makes dead people alive. Did you know that? How do you you say, how do I know that my sins are forgiven? Well, are you alive? Has God renewed your affections and given you new desires? Not, Not that you never attempted to sin or ever fail, but are you awakened to all his goodness in Christ? He's saying, if you are born again, you will be given new affections and new desires and new compassions. And if that's you, you know who I'm talking about. If that's not you, but I invite you to repent and trust in Christ and be made alive by his spirit. Paul says in another place, as for you, and this is in Ephesians, you were dead in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, gratifying the cravings of your flesh and following, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive when we were dead. You see, what's happening here is God grants to us, by the new birth and the indwelling spirit, new affections. At once we're gratified, at one time we were gratified according to our flesh and followed our evil desires, but in the new birth we're given a new desire, a desire in gratitude to follow Jesus for all he's done for us. A new heart, a new life, all birthrights of the believer of Jesus Christ. So there are four. Union with God, God's love, His Spirit, new affections. This is what you possess or promise because God gives it to you the moment you are converted by faith in Jesus. So let's look now, number two, at the means. What is the means to selfless living? We looked at the motivation, the inspiration. Isn't it true that because when we look at all that God has done for us, should we not strive to live similarly for others? You see, this is his argument. Because of the selfless nature of Jesus himself, who, who through his own humiliation, gave, uh, crowned us with glory and union, should we not live selflessly too? So we're told to value each other as more important than ourselves. Well, how can this be? How can we do this like, practically and really? Really? Well, certainly we'll fail in it from time to time, but it's still no less the objective of the Christian life. To have any other ideal, to live in greed, to live coveting, to live selfishly, is antithetical to the gospel. Because the gospel demonstrates that Jesus put us before himself. You see? So if we're going to be selfless, we need to demonstrate our following, our, our, our new affections are going to naturally want to put the needs of others before our own. So if you know the gospel, there's no other way to live other than by putting the needs of others first. We're told, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now the father of lies, the devil, Satan, the dragon, is the father of selfish ambition and conceit selfishness is the sin of satan it was the catalyst of the angelic fall if you don't know this the bible teaches that satan was a good angel at one point a righteous angel until wickedness was found in his heart and he sinned against god and a third of the angels in scripture teaches us that a third of the angels followed his disobedience and pride but selfishness was the catalyst of his fall and we read about this in two places in the old testament One place is in the book of Ezekiel. Let me read it to you in chapter 28. You were the seal of perfections, talking about Lucifer, before he fell, before sin. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. He's an angel. For so I ordained you. You are on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. What is that wickedness? What was it? Well, Isaiah tells us exactly what it was in chapter 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You, You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. What is this? Me first. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High God. Now this is interesting, Donald Gray Barnhouse was a scholar and pastor about 75 years ago, writes an amazing book called The Invisible War, and he writes about how he thinks it's curious that Satan chose the name Most High God to compare himself with. I will be like the Most High God. There's hundreds of names for God. Why did Satan announce this name? Why not I will make myself like the creator or the redeemer, the savior, the word, the shepherd, right? Why not any of these? Why most high God? And this is the key to understanding, to isolating what is the pride of Satan. The word here for most high God is El Elyon. And it means most high God. And where the, the characteristic of the most high God is described in Genesis 14. God, the Most High God, is described as the owner, the possessor of heaven and earth. So Satan is positioning himself intentionally to move God out so that he might be the Most High Possessor of heaven and earth. And the sin of Satan, essentially, is to advance his own power and prestige. It's to put himself before others. It's to put himself before God. It's essentially selfishness. Satan told Adam and Eve, you won't die. Did God say if you eat this, you will die? You won't die. You will be like God. In other words, you will be promoted and applauded. But the gospel shows us something different, doesn't it? It shows us that promotion and glory and honor do not come by self-promotion, but by humiliation. Not looking out for our own interests, but also the interests of others. To value each other as more important than ourselves. Friends, in the coming weeks, we're about to jump into a passage of Scripture that is probably the the most powerful passage of Scripture about the identity of Christ. Paul goes on to explain about how Jesus humiliated himself and what he did to condescend to us, to rescue us. And it's fantastic. But essentially we're told here, value, if you believe the gospel, value others above yourselves. And that's the word of, of the hour right there. Value. That people around us have value. They're not to be used or competed with. The church, if it is the object of God's love and grace, if God's people, if, if all of, all, out, even outside of the church, uh, uh, have people that don't know Jesus Christ, they're still God's creation created in his image. They still have value. But the church, the object of God's love and grace, his bride and treasure, friends, we are the beneficiary of his humility. You see, we're crowned with glory and honor and righteousness because he was humiliated, crushed, and broken. Because he put us before himself. And should not his redeemed. God's people be the beneficiary of our own selflessness as well. Now let's look at the product. When the church gets good at putting others' needs first, what happens? What is the product of the gospel believed and lived? Now if you're daring enough to be so stirred by what Jesus has done for you so that it would cause you to value others and to serve them well, the result is always going to be in the church unity, and joy. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. You see, when we put others' needs before our own, the natural outcome in the church is joy and unity. And it's for unity which Christ died. Jesus prayed, My prayer is not for them alone. This is in John chapter 17. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, friends, unity even is an evangelical witness to lost people around us that don't know Jesus yet. That when we're united, that the world around us believes in Jesus Christ. So he's, Jesus continues, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Isn't that, I, that's a whole other sermon, but isn't that fantastic? Jesus gives you glory. Wow. Undeserving sinners receive God's applause I am in them and you in me so that they might be brought to complete unity. Unity is the fruit, the product of selfless living. Friends, I don't want to misunderstand what unity is either. Unity is not unity at all costs. It is unity of mind, of love, and of spirit. There is no such thing as a church being united to something antithetical to the gospel we can't be we dare not be do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness what harmony what union is there between christ and belial or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever so the unity we contend for is gospel unity that doesn't mean we're to be jerks to everyone else around us and mean and, se- and selfish. But the unity that we're contending for as a church is gospel unity. That means we need to fight for the gospel over, over peace at times in the church. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ is alone what saves us. So to not deny the gospel is to be in darkness. It's to deny Jesus so if there is a, quote, division over the meaning of the gospel in the church, we're not just to agree to disagree. That's, what not, that's not what unity means. Unity means be united around the gospel. You see? It doesn't mean get along with everybody. <laughs> it means be united around the gospel. Paul does not define unity the way that we define tolerance today. He's not saying, just love everybody. It doesn't matter what you believe or how you treat each other. Just get over it and be friends and smile. He's not saying this. He also isn't saying to allow injustice in the church for unity's sake. Right? He says, have the same love and have the same spirit. And that has to mean that true unity is going to require us to repent of our sins to each other. To not stand firm in them and deny that we made them. Unity also is going to require that you forgive the repentant sinner. You see, it's a demonstration of the gospel. Gospel unity in the church can only come by repentance and forgiveness. You see? So unity is not just this blanket statement, ignore problems, just get over it types of things. It is the power of the gospel. And it requires compassion and humility. It's humiliating at times to confess a fault, isn't it? We think we might get in trouble. We think they'll be mad at us, whatever. We have egg in our face. It can be humiliating at times to confess a fault. And perhaps equally as humiliating is to forgive. To say, I forgive you. To take the penalty for them. But, friends, this kind of selflessness in the church brings about a union and a fellowship that's beyond comparison. It's not a perfect union, it's a union that includes failing each other and sitting against each other. It's a union that requires us to forgive each other's sins. So, it's not a perfect union, but a union nonetheless. And the gospel stands as a paradigm, the epitome of selfless service. And I just can't wait next week and the weeks to follow to go over with you how Jesus Christ is the prime example of the one who humiliated himself, who selflessly laid down his life so that we might be crowned with glory. Amen? Let's pray. God, how good are you to rescue us sinners? God, we thank you, Lord, what your word says. That there is encouragement in Christ, in our union with him, that we are guaranteed his love, that we participate in the spirit, and you have made us new with affection and sympathy. So God, we ask you, Lord, complete our joy. Give us the same mind, the same love, to be in full accord with one mind, And God, help us to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But in humility, God, let us count others as more important than ourselves. God, that we wouldn't look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. God, as we consider that this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for those moments, maybe even today, where we put ourselves out in front Pray, God, that you would teach us this kind of life. God, we know that we have fallen short so many times, but we thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you are teaching us and molding us and shaping us. And I pray, Lord, that the union that comes from this type of selfless love would change the world around us, that people around us would know that Jesus is risen and that he is Lord. And friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, can I ask you, to trust in Him this moment. Have a new birthright. Union with Christ, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with your Creator and God. Believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And if that's you this morning, I want to ask that you come run up to me after church and tell me what the Lord's doing in your heart. I want to pray with you and rejoice with you and talk to you. God, thank you, Lord, again for all that you're doing for us in our midst. We pray that you bless the rest of our worship service. In Jesus' name, amen.